I'm Christian Weishart, and this is Examining Ethics, brought to you by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University. If you've ever watched a Comedy Central roast, you know that there's a variety of ways to insult someone. And you've probably noticed that while some of the jokes kill, others don't quite land with the audience. Stand-up comedy is a tricky art. Throw morality into the mix, and it becomes trickier still. My guest today, the philosopher Lavelle Anderson, helps us explore the ethics of the comedic roast. You would initially think there's some kind of contradiction, really, between insulting someone, but also it being fun. And I just wanted to explore that dynamic a bit. Think about, well, okay, here's this thing that already you're on guard against in normal, non-joking contexts. So what happens when you turn to a space where everyone is in on the roasting? Everyone understands what's going to happen, and we subject ourselves to this. We'll discuss the art of humor, whether morality makes comedy less fun, and much more on this episode of Examining Ethics. Welcome to the show. We're here to discuss your article, Roasting Ethics. And just so people know, we're not roasting ethics. We're talking about the ethics of roasting. So first of all, just briefly, could you tell us what you're doing with this project? And just in case people aren't super familiar with the term roasting, help us understand what that is too. So roasting is a kind of comedic practice whereby you use insult to generate fun, mirth, etc. And it usually happens in a number of different contexts. It can happen in a formal context, like New York City's Friars Friars Club, for example, where you would have typically a bunch of famous comedians on a stage or dais, and someone who is like the honoree, the sort of object of the roast, and people would hurl insults at this person as a way of honoring them, really. And then you see like the a sort of more contemporary version of this in the Comedy Central's celebrity roasts. That's sort of the more formal version of this. And then there's an informal version that happens between, say, friends or with random strangers, really. So it's, again, just a way of insulting others, usually for fun. Sometimes the person being roasted is in on it. Sometimes they're not. Same kind of mechanism, though. It's a way of throwing insults at someone to generate laughter, either in everyone participating or in those who are just looking on. And then the object is sort of just the means to the mirth of those looking on. Why did you decide to write an, an article about the ethics of this, of this practice? So I found it very, an interesting phenomenon because it's, you know, you would initially think there's some kind of contradiction, really, between insulting someone, but also it being fun. And I just wanted to explore that dynamic a bit. Think about, well, okay, here's this thing that already you're on guard against in sort of normal, non-joking contexts. So what happens when you, for example, enter into a space where everyone is in, let's say, let's take those as, as the example right now, where everyone's in on the, on the roasting. And so everyone understands what's going to happen. And we subject ourselves to this, right? So, uh, I mean, this also happens sometimes in comedy clubs. If you sit up in front, it's a good chance you will be a target of a comedian on stage, right? There's some insults that they might swing towards you or whatever. And knowing this, we still go, right? We still sort of find it fun or find it amusing. But there also seem to be limits. There also seem to be moments where we think things go too far or that 
the person doing the roasting has done something they shouldn't have, right? And so I wanted to figure out, okay, can we say anything about the limits of roasting, the limits of insults, where it turns from something that's humorous to something that's denigrating or felt like an attack? I think if if you watch those Comedy Central specials, or if you're like, I guess, in a friend group that has like a roasting culture, you kind of understand that the purpose of the roast isn't to hurt the recipient. Like you're not trying to like actually make somebody cry. <laughs> um, so like then what is the purpose of roasting? Like what's the speech act happening with the roast? So this is interesting because I think it does depend on whether or not we're speaking about, for example, a formal context or informal context and the relationship between the persons involved in the informal so in the formal context, it's quite clear that the speech act usually taking place is a kind of honoring speech act. It's a, a way of honoring the person being arrested. In informal context or in, in a personal context, let's say between friends, usually it takes on the shape of a, a way of, I guess, strengthening that relationship between those involved, a kind of solidarity building. I have an aunt who basically, this is her whole mode of engagement where it's a way of trying to create a kind of endearing relationship with everyone else. If you're unfamiliar with this kind of practice, it can sort of take you aback, right? It can be kind of off-putting or you don't really know how to respond. But there, even then, I think that, that her primary intention is not really to harm you, but it's, you know, a way of trying to feel you out or... Provide, I guess, a kind of potential moment for bonding or something, something along, along the lines. And I think that's sort of what happens usually when people roast one another, where they have a kind of already standing relationship with one another. And then there are these other moments where there are just people who are kind of cruel. And so they will roast unsuspecting others for the sake of you know, causing laughter among their peer group or whatever. There was a comedian, and a YouTube comedian, I want to say in the late 2000s, who made these YouTube videos of, in a mall setting or public setting, roasting people who walked by. So these people didn't have any idea that they were the object of a roast. But this person was creating content essentially for an audience, right? And they were just using the persons they were roasting as a kind of means to that end. So there the speech act really is a kind of, there's a, an attempt at a joke being produced for an audience. And yeah, I mean, the, the roast could get kind of mean, but again, thinking that, well, as an audience, we seem to enjoy the hostility and uh, meanness and they're sort of just providing that content for us. So I kind of, I want to get into like the nitty gritty of your, of your argument here. And I want to start by talking about the talking shit view, which is like definitely my new favorite philosophical <laughs> Uh, jargon. Um, so help us understand what the talking shit view is when we're talking about the ethics of roasting. Yeah, I think at the heart of it, it really is sort of the idea that, well, you're just joking. This is not meant to be taken seriously. I don't have any intentions of harming you or, or really attacking you. I'm really just saying things in a context where you shouldn't take it seriously. Uh, I think that's what talking shit really boils down to. And so there, the, the kind of justification for doing it or the, the defense against uh, those who might object to it really is, well, if you are offended, if you feel attacked, that's pretty much on you 
because you're interpreting it in a way that I don't intend for it to be interpreted. I really mean it in the most non-serious uh, way possible. I am just sort of talking shit. The problem there, which I, I feel like if anybody enjoys comedy or enjoys like the that culture or that world, you know that that's like typically the white guy's answer. I'm just I'm just joking. It's comedy. It's just that's what this is, right? And so A, is that okay? <laughs> and then B, like, are there different degrees of comedians caring about ethics when they're doing their acts? So I think one thing that kind of response assumes is that what's happening in the comedic the comedic context is wholly distinct and separated from what's happening in broader society, that the two don't sort of interact at all. Uh, there's a view in aesthetic literature around the relationship between art and ethics that suggests as much, that suggests that, well, ethical categories are just the wrong sorts of categories to use when evaluating an artwork. So if we take humor as a kind of artwork, for example, you're making a kind of category mistake when you bring in morality to thinking about jokes. So that's, I think, the a kind of basic line, or I, I would say a kind of underlying premise of the talking shit view is that you have this distinct separation between art and morality. But again, I think, in my view, that wrongly assumes that the joking context is hermetically sealed from the rest of society. That's the best is obviously not the case. With respect to different levels of care from comedians and thinking about the ethics of their joking, I think it's interesting to think about who pays attention to the impact or the effects of their humor on their audience versus who doesn't. Historically, the sort of, I guess, white men in particular, but not always, seem to be the most wedded to the distinction, the sort of separation between art and morality. Right? So that we don't have to think about morality when we think about the, the artistic part. But also, they've been the ones who've been on stage or the ones who have been given the the specials or whatever. Right? So it's been based in terms of just who's been able to stand up in front of audiences. Traditionally, it has been mostly white men. And so you get a particular skewed view of whose interests sort of center the practice. You get a little bit further along, you see the, the introduction and, and the growing exception of comedians from other social groups who might have different interests, who have different experiences, in different modes of engagement. So you get to see some pushback on what kinds of rules, the kinds of things that have emerged as standards for producing jokes or stand-up or whatever. And yeah, typically the ones who seem to care or the ones who seem to incorporate a more careful, or at least a, a different sort of approach to that relationship between art and morality tend to be people coming from other social groups who traditionally haven't been given the spotlight. You write about amoralist comedy, immoralist comedy, and then I forget that. Is it? Ethicist. Yes. So can you help us understand those categories and how that might help us think about ethics and roasting? So I've already kind of described the amoralist position, this version of it, where morality just has nothing to do with art, evaluating art. That is, to bring in ethical categories is really kind of a, a mistake because of things that are relevant for determining, for example, whether a joke is funny or not, isn't anything about ethical attitudes, moral attitudes. It's, it's more, it has more to do with things like delivery, content, 
innovation or something like this about, about joke work, stuff like that, right? So if you're formalist and with respect to aesthetics, then you're going to appeal to more formal features of joking, or it might be producing a particular kind of experience. So whatever the sort of aesthetic view you have, it's basically going to be, well, there are certain kinds of features that are aesthetic features. Those are the only ones relevant for determining whether or not a joke is funny. Then the moralist and ethicist positions are really basically two versions of a general idea that basically there's a connection between art and morality and that the moral stuff can impact how we think about the aesthetic stuff. So for the ethicist, let's say that the inclusion of negative or bad, ethically bad attitudes in a joke need not block its being funny, but its inclusion always counts against it being funny. The moderate moralist positions as well, they disagree with the ethicist that the ethically bad attitudes always count against the funniness of a joke, but they suggest that, well, at least for some, some inclusions, it can block one's ability to find it funny. So this is usually the idea that there's a kind of imaginative resistance that's triggered by your recognition of some ethically bad thing that the work is calling you to entertain for the, the sake of the, the joke. And then there's another view, that, a kind of view that says, uh, this is the immoralist, who says, well, contrary to the ethicist, the inclusion of ethically bad attitudes always or can enhance the funniness of the joke. So rather than take away from it, it makes it funnier. I'm going to ask you if you had an example of each, but that might be too, <laughs> I would be asking too much. <laughs> I think there's something to the idea that, yeah, we find naughtiness, uh, there's something appealing about it sometimes, right? So when comedy is too safe, or antiseptic, antiseptic or something like that, people tend to find it boring and banal or something like that. But if you include naughty elements and things that somehow subvert, let's say, social norms of civility or niceness or politeness or something like that, it has a kind of edginess to it that I think people are drawn, usually drawn to. And you can just sort of think about your own reactions to, let's say, the kind of humor you would find on PBS or something like that, right? So on a children's show versus like virtually any comedian uh, who has a stage who goes beyond the kinds of norms and rules you expect when the audience is full of children. So there is something to the idea that we're aroused by kind of edginess. But where I think the moralist is right, there do also seem to be those moments where, say, some joke will call on us to entertain a kind of sketchy ethical attitude. So take the controversial Chappelle specials, for example, where it's trading in trans jokes that draw on ethically bad attitudes that you have to somehow entertain in order to recognize and enjoy the humor and the specials. For many people, being called on to entertain those attitudes blocks your ability to find the jokes funny because you just find the ethical attitude you're being asked to entertain too far, too hostile, or too dangerous or, or something, right? They're just not the kinds of attitude you can entertain and find enjoyment in. So there's a bit of edging, but for some people, they're edging, they are the kind of edgy that invites mirth or enjoyment. The interesting thing about thinking about this is that all of that to say is that I guess the level of morality that a comedian takes into their act 
like you can't map it and be like, well, they're super immoral. And so they're not funny or they're super immoral. So they're not funny. Right. Is that kind of the idea here? Yeah. That, yeah. You know, there's a kind of ambiguity happening too. And so for the, especially between the, called the ethicist view and the moral, the moderate moralist view. Where the ethicist, ethicist view, when it says that ethically bad attitude always counts against the funniness, they get the sense that what's, what's being presented is a kind of prescriptive view that says, well, if this joke contains a, an ethically bad attitude, let's say of the Chappelle, Chappelle sort, that you should not find the joke funny. That you have a kind of moral duty to find it unfunny or, or not to enjoy it or something like that. So that's a kind of prescriptive sort of claim. The moralist the points to something different. It seems to be a bit more of a, de de a descriptive sort of claim. That is that there are just some attitudes, there are some prescriptions of attitudes that, at least for some, it just makes it virtually impossible for them to enjoy it. Not that they're making a decision about whether to enjoy it or not, it's just that it, you just can't bring yourself to do so. And so I think, I think there's this kind of ambiguity between the two so that when you think about trying to come up with rules for determining the limit of humor, are you appealing to the prescriptive about what people should and should not find funny? Or are you appealing to the descriptive, which is a fact about person's psychology or their background beliefs or something like that? Right? So that's going to make a difference in how we think about the possibility of prescribing some sets of rules or norms for the ethics of humor in general. What makes for a successful roast? And because it's not all subjective, right? Like there are yeah. some Comedy Central specials of roasts that I watched where people are laughing harder or that yeah. I'm laughing harder. I think it's funnier than other ones. So like what makes for a successful roast? And then like, you know, how is ethics connected to that? How is the ethics of roasting connected to the success? So this is a good question that I, I don't think I've figured out for myself what the connection between the, the successful roast and the ethics of the roast is. Because typically, I think this sometimes happens. Well, let me just to answer the first question about what makes a roast successful in the, in the paper, I suggest, well, they're basically two broad features that determine its success. That is, the content has to be ridiculous enough that it draws your attention to, well, that it pushes you out of the serious frame, pushes you out of a frame of, okay, am I trying to figure out truth or falsity into some, some other frame? And then the manner of its presentation. So things like timing, things like the intonation and emphasis, focus, sort of more formally linguistic, social linguistic stuff. So those two things have to marry in a particular kind of way. And the more skilled the person is, the more they're able both to phrase it in the right way, but also to deliver it in the right way. And especially with those Comedy Central roasts, you see... The difference between, for example, those skilled comedians who are able to do that and the, the Roastmaster General, Jeff Ross, versus the celebrities who aren't professional comedians who are reading someone else's material, and there's a kind of drop, right? You can, you can tell that, well, one of these people do this for a living and the other, not so much. <laughs> so they're, they're, like, they're skill-based considerations that go into the success of a roast. It can sometimes be the case that a person is so skillful at delivery and content crafting that ethics can sometimes take a backseat or take a lesser role 
in determining the success of the roast. So I think there was this interview Paul Mooney did once. Uh, so Paul Mooney, for those who don't know, is a, is a black comedian who used to write for Richard Pryor. And, and I think he did an interview once where he said something like, he was, he was being asked about racist humor, racial humor, and using racial stereotypes and stuff like that. Because his humor traded a lot of race and he talked a lot about race in his humor. And I think he said something to the effect of, well, if it's funny enough, you can basically tell any joke. That's a very strong position, but I don't, uh, there's something to it. There definitely is something to it. There is, you can sort of see the difference between someone, even for the same performer. Some nights they deliver the joke very well and it's, it kills. Other nights they can bomb with the same joke. And the difference between those performances isn't going to be obviously content. It's going to be something else. So the difference seems to be something about the way that it's performed more so than anything else. And so that plays heavily in a success in that. I, I feel like when somebody's when somebody has like a clear set of values that they're working with and they play with that and like deliver a joke successfully, that to me like amplifies it even more. It makes it more funny because it feels more dangerous at the start. And so you're more relieved. But then also I just appreciate the art of it more and it just feels better. <laughs> yeah. I mean in so I, I do think that we, I think uh, you can make a, draw an analogy with other forts, sort of forms of entertainment that this also seems to track, right? that, that this danger element is a thing that we really enjoy. And that, I think that's why, for example, a lot of people enjoy roller coasters. There's a kind of element of danger, but there's also a kind of element of, well, I know I'm not in true danger, even if I feel like I'm in danger momentarily. And there's something about the comedian's ability to tread that line in a careful way uh, where you feel the danger, but you also at the same time feel like you're not really in imminent danger. That makes something feel more enjoyable. What's the role of power when it comes to ethics and thinking about um, comedy? Yeah, so this is a good question. I think this goes back to the question about the relationship between art and morality and whether or not you can cordon off the joking context from everything else. I think that considerations of power are quite important for thinking about, you know, whether a joke lands or trying to figure out how an audience is going to receive it. Because I think comedians are definitely thinking about, especially ones who are starting up and trying to gain an audience, who they're standing in front of and how the jokes are going to land. Just can't see that even if they don't recognize that this is what's happening, that they're considering power relations and how that factors into how an audience will receive what they're saying. So I think, yeah, probably is, a, I think, a particularly important role in how I think about joking and, and audience reception. Because it's, uh, you get a kind of feedback, right, uh, from audience, the, the people you're trying to depend on to support you. And they tend to let you know if you've run afoul of these important considerations. Well, I just talked about how it doesn't take the fun out of comedy for me to talk about, to think about ethics with it. But it, when you're working on this stuff, does it take the fun of it out of it for you? No, not really. It's true that it's interesting to think about this stuff theoretically, because then you're basically just putting it under a microscope and dissecting it. And you're not doing the thing that it's meant to do, which is enjoy it for its own sake. So that's a little weird, but I, I guess I'd approach it in like a two-pronged 
way. First, I just sort of sit with it to see whether or not I enjoy it or not, see how it hits me sort of aesthetically. And then like, oh yeah, it's supposed to be working. So then I go back and think about it, think about it, and think about, okay, what do I think is happening here ethically or aesthetically and how those two things meet. If you want to find more about our guests' other work, download a transcript, or learn about some of the things we mentioned in today's episode, visit prindleinstitute.org backslash examiningethics. Examining Ethics is hosted by the Janet Prindle Institute for Ethics at DePaul University. Christian Weishart wrote and produced the show. Our logo was created by Evie Brogius. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions and can be found online at sessions.blue. Examining Ethics is made possible by the generous support of DePa alumni, friends of the Prindle Institute, and you, the listeners. Thank you for your support. The views expressed here are the opinions of the individual speakers alone. They do not represent the position of DePaul University or the Prindle Institute for Ethics.